0: Time to talk about a murder mystery for the ages. I'm Gervier Bra, I'm here with Chamat Sandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into the 90s classic, Scream. We're here with an in-depth analysis and our hottest takes about this generational classic. Folks, let's get slashed. You're not scared,
1: are you? Someone has taken their
0: love of fear one step too far we know you're not the killer solving this mystery everybody's a suspect is going to be murder who are you the question is where am i we all go a little mad sometimes scream the new thriller from west craven Reddit r all right gentlemen and we're back it's the tale of the tape we're covering scream written by kevin williamson directed by west craven Starring an all-star cast, Drew Barrymore, Nev Campbell, Skeet Ehrlich. You heard that right. A grown man named Skeet. Uh, Next we got Courtney Cox, Rose McGowan, David Arquette, Matthew Lillard, Jamie Kennedy, Liev Schreiber, and Henry Winkler. Just an absolutely stacked cast. And uh, usually what we do before we dive in, I just like to just set the scene, give a little bit of context as to where everyone is in their careers, just before we really do dive in. The director, like I said, Wes Craven, up until this point, is an absolute force in horror. From The Hills Have Eyes to Nightmare on Elm Street, he's got an amazing resume as far as horror goes. Kevin Williamson was basically brand new; this is his first writing credit. Toronto's own Nev Campbell was famous for Party of Five, which was just a huge teen drama in the '90s. Also, she just relieved Craft earlier in the year in theaters. Uh, same year, as Scream as well. Courtney Cox was part of this small sitcom called. Friends, no no friends my bad that's (laughs) friends uh also ace ventura seinfeld so many shows just killing it courtney cox was part of that huge 90s culture and last like i mentioned ski ehrlich who was also in the craft but ultimately is relatively new up until this point but just killing that 90s greasy hair dippity do hair gel look (laughs) fitting that perfect aesthetic for that era this also marks the 25th year anniversary for the film So, without much further ado... Hello, gentlemen. Do you like scary movies?
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, As we've talked about a few times in the past, the horror genre isn't exactly my favourite. Yeah,
0: this is why I was actually interested in having this conversation, because I know you don't love horror, Yeah. but Scream is Scream. Uh, this is the thing Scream is
1: kind of like its own subgenre in many yeah. ways it's not a classic horror mm-hmm. but it's almost like um, a commentary on what was going on in 90s Americana especially you know mid to late 90s Americana yeah, both weird. from an industry sp- perspective but, but also in reality what were people listening to what were they dressed like what was that? were the hairstyles you know who were the actors
0: that were going to be cherry picked to be the next generation's Brat Pack stuff like that right yeah it's weird because this ended up having like so many big people from the 90s and this like you said it's so meta it's a movie about movies and that's something it's just fun to kind of dive into besides being a horror fan right off the bat i thought you know it's fun because you know you're not a huge horror fan yeah i'm a pretty big horror fan i actually just like a like a decade ago got to deep dive into horror and now i feel like it's just become something i really look forward to seeing like all the brand new horror movies every year going back and watching all the classics so i thought why not both of us list our top 3 horror movies just to kind of set the scene of where we're at as in terms of fans. Sure.
1: I probably don't have an extensive library of movies that I've probably seen in this genre but from the horror movies that I have seen in my life mm-hmm. there's three that really jump out to me. One is a more of a recent one, Get Out, um only because Jordan Peele's the man and I just love the social commentary that that movie gave me in addition to being a horror movie. Yeah. Although I guess you could probably classify it as a bit of a thriller and suspense as well. It's a bit of a mixed bag there. Yeah, absolutely. But when I think about classic horror movies that I you know, watched as a kid that really crapped my pants, The Exorcist is one.
0: Classic. And Poltergeist is another one. Okay, nice, nice, nice. For me, the, the first two, I, I kind of have to link them together and I'm gonna count them as one movie, is The Conjuring and Insidious. That was what basically brought me back into horror. And if it wasn't for those movies, like for that last decade before that, I just completely missed it. I feel like the late or early 2000s kind of missed me. And I just thought, there's not really much in the genre. I'm not really here for it. But those movies completely brought me back. Uh, The next, uh, same thing, classics. The Shining, really, it gives you such a dreadful feeling. And on top of that, Rosemary's Baby is the most uncomfortable movie experience I can really remember having in recent memory and I absolutely love all three, or I guess four of those movies. What's
1: that noise?
0: Popcorn. you making popcorn? Uh Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies.
1: Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video.
0: Really? What?
1: Oh, just some scary movie.
0: You like scary movies? Uh
1: Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind?
0: All right, so let's get into it. Obviously, this is going to be full of spoilers, so here's your warning 25 years after the release of the movie. Gentlemen, can you hit us with that recap?
1: I certainly can. So a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Twelve months after her mother's death, Sydney Prescott and her friends start experiencing some strange phone calls They later learned that the calls were coming from a crazed serial killer in a white-faced mask and a large black robe looking for revenge. His phone calls usually consist of many questions, the main one being, what's your favourite scary movie? Along with scary movie trivia ending with bloody pieces of innocent lives scattered around the
0: small town of Woodsboro. That is Scream in a nutshell. Yeah, it's it's so classic. Even just recapping, it's like everybody knows what Scream is, right? Like it's like for some reason, it's just become this huge pop culture horror classic. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the movie after watching it after all this time? I
1: really enjoy it probably now more so than I did at the time that it came out because mm-hmm. it is nostalgic. It is throwback, you know the the a movie about movies is just fun to me. Yeah. We don't really see it that often unless it's perhaps like an out there parody, mm-hmm. like scary movie, which we'll probably talk to talk about a little bit later on. yeah, absolutely. But you know, and if this kind of leans maybe a little bit more into scream 2 Uh, than 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 the original movie but there are film students and they're talking about you know the genre itself and the rules of horror movies so it's just fun all around
0: yeah yeah i feel like for me like it's kind of like what you said before this is like basically a time capsule of the 90s and obviously for me it worked the best at like the first time you watch it because you're just sitting there speculating who killed it who like there's a classic whodunit it really holds up after multiple watches and it's almost more fun to kind of go back and like watch people's eyes and be like, oh, that's kind of a tell that Billy looked at Stu just to show us that maybe they're working together or something like that. And you right. don't notice these kinds of things in the first watch. Yep. People actually forget how important Scream was to slashers and more broadly to horror movies in that genre. It really had like a huge impact on horror movies in general. It's kind of a down period for horror movies and slashers were basically dead up until the point. Even like the movie itself, it opened at number four behind beavis and butthead jerry Maguire, and 101 dalmatians it wasn't up until a few weeks later that it actually became number one you never really see that that often where that never happens that never happens where a movies just going to organically grow to number one uh it actually ended up making 170 million dollars on a 14 million dollar budget ended up being the highest grossing slasher movie ever adjusting for inflation also inspired so many other classics like urban legend i know what you did last summer and obviously the sequels for scream maybe most importantly like you mentioned it actually ended up inspiring the parody scary movie which made 280 million dollars at the box office that's nuts right Uh, i don't know everybody had like a different experience with that movie i'm sure some people love it some people hate it but it's crazy that it made 100 million dollars more than the movie it was based on also a fun fact the original screenplay of scream was titled scary movie Right, so they actually took that title and made the parody out of it. Uh, why do you think it resonated with audiences so much?
1: I think you were first of all, you had a brand new generation of actors. Some, you know, I in the UK, I wasn't familiar with anybody apart from Courtney Cox,
0: yeah, because of Friends, mm-hmm.
1: right? Had no idea who Nev Campbell was. Had no idea who any of these other actors were: mm-hmm. Jamie Kennedy, Skeet Ulrich, etc., etc.
0: For me personally, I, I feel like when I look at Scream, it basically took like that drama culture and then they just turned into a slasher movie yeah so I feel like did you get that same kind of thing yeah
1: I I do Uh, but but also I think for me again maybe this is a generational thing you know I'm now a teenager I haven't really watched horror movies in the theatre. Like you mentioned, horror movies were in a down period where there, was, there were more going direct to video. Forget mm-hmm. DVD, this is before DVD even. Mm-hmm. They're going direct to video, they're B-movies, they're not really being supported by Hollywood, which means we're not being inundated with major releases in the theatre anymore. That coupled with the fact that this was about word of mouth... This was about hey have you seen scream do you know who the killer is can you figure it out it is a bit of a who you know actually not even a little bit it's a it's a major who done it yeah. as you're watching it for the first time then it all becomes about Make sure you watch it before someone spoils it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is before the internet, before social media, and it's like I hope no one tells me the ending. I hope no one tells me who the killers are before I actually get a chance to watch it. Mm. So that was a major part of you know creating a bit of urgency and FOMO to actually go out and watch it before the movie gets spoiled.
0: Yeah. You know what? Also, I think there's like almost like a time capsule at this time is this is when like home videos are like obviously they've been out for years and years, but this is when people went to Blockbuster and Blockbuster was almost like a boom period. So. Like you said, there are direct uh, vhs releases, but people are going out of their way to actually watch those. People went to the movie store to see whatever horror movie was out because it was just kind of fun, like a thing to do on like a Friday night or whatever. And again, to
1: remind people, this is before clubbing and going to bars on a Friday night became the norm for a whole generation of people with disposable income. Back in the day, back in the 90s, it was, like you said, you go to Blockbuster, you line up, To get a VHS from Blockbuster, you pick up some takeaway, and that's either your Friday night in with your friends
0: or your date night, and that's what people would do. You know, the difference of like sitting around and like trying to figure out what to watch on Netflix versus going physically to Blockbuster and like picking out which movie you wanna watch, that was just a fun ass experience too. I used to love just going to Blockbuster. I didn't care about like the movie experience, just that little thing was so much fun. And also, on top of that, so everybody was at home watching these movies. Right? And they're basically just becoming these movie nerds, right? And that's what this movie basically spawned from. Instead of like a, like a kid who listens to a bunch of albums, then they listen to a rapper who just keeps referencing other rappers. This is a movie that just keeps referencing other movies. Yeah. Right? That was kind of the fun thing. Also, I think another thing is uh, the executives that talked about this movie, they actually ended up releasing this movie on December 20th in 1996 because they thought it would have the benefit of kind of growing in, in, in a time period, like January and all that kind of stuff, where there's not major releases that keep coming. And that's kind of why, you know, it had that secondary kind of success after a few weeks, because it got to resonate over time through word of mouth. Which is wild to think, because you think, okay, you've, I've
1: got a horror movie to release if I'm a studio, yeah. I'm gonna release in October, around Absolutely. Halloween, right? And so the fact that they were ballsy enough to put it in December, and we know typically around the Christmas period, you're getting festive movies, you're you're getting lots of kids movies, you're getting family oriented movies, you're getting like um Oscar um movies that are trying to like vie for Oscars. Mm-hmm. So it's award season. You're throwing a little you know, horror movie in there that you're hoping gets word of mouth and, and catches what like wildfire and gets yeah. bumps on seats. That's, that's a pretty
0: ballsy move, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of like a smart move at the same time because the, the, the January is a down period. Like at the end of the day, like right now we're talking about this because there aren't huge releases that come out in January, right? right. Like it's a good time to have an episode of a podcast like this because what else is there to watch? Are you alone in the house? <sighs> Randy, that's so unoriginal. I'm disappointed in you.
1: Maybe that's because
0: so who are
1: you the question isn't who am i the question is where am i
0: so where are you (gasps) your front porch how was this movie received like what did you get from that general idea of like just kind of looking back at the reviews and all that kind of stuff
1: looking back at the time for me what i remember about how it was received was it was a big box office smash hit which you alluded to earlier on Mm -hmm. It got good critical reviews. It was a fresh take on the genre. It, you know, it gave the genre a bit of a it uh, gave the genre life. Yeah, yeah. It, it
0: basically made slasher movies cool again. Yeah, absolutely. And I just
1: remember just friends talking about it. You know, and that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Uh, especially now. Now it's like okay, you'll see what's going viral on social media. Yeah, and a lot of what's stuff trending? is so niche.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to like. Besides like comic books and sequels, nothing really just blows up just off word of mouth.
1: Yeah. And so this was a period and this is one of those movies in the 90s that I distinctly remember friends talking about. Have you seen Scream? Mm-hmm. Have, you gone, have you watched it? If you haven't, go watch it before it gets ruined
0: for you. Yeah. So that's what I remember mostly about how it was received. Honestly, another thing that I really want to talk about because it is such a stacked cast. It's hard to really go through every single individual person because I like to kind of see where they went after the fact. With so many people becoming stars, who do you think kind of had the best career after this movie? So for me, the biggest star coming out of this
1: movie is definitely Drew Barrymore. Um, I feel like you know she got such a small run. She's literally in like only the first like ten minutes mm-hmm. of the movie. But if you think about who had the best run, she had her run in like uh, Charlie's Angels. She had all these rom coms. She had all the movies with Adam Sandler. She actually had a legitimate Hollywood career where she had major releases. Um, I also feel like it provided Courtney Cox with a movie franchise to leverage Mm -hmm. while she's on her run on Friends. And I feel like Neve Campbell, she got her franchise, but it was completely revolved around her character. And she never really made the leap away and doesn't really do too many things of significance outside of Scream over the last 25 years like the only thing I could think of is she had a small run on House of Cards in I think season 4 or season 5 or something but when you think about Nev Campbell over the last like quarter century what do you think of you think of Scream?
0: Yeah absolutely and I I feel like like you said at the end of the day you have friends you can't really top friends and When you talk about an actual legitimate movie star, Drew Barrymore was actually a big movie star in the late 90s, early 2000s. Actually, on a side note, just talk about Friends for a second, because I just watched an interview today with Stephen Colbert and Chris Rock. There was actually a time when they were actually thinking of casting Chris Rock as a friend. What? Could you imagine him being in Friends? Friends actually having a, a black actor. A black friend. He literally said in the like, I was going to be the black friend. Talk about 25 years too late. Right? Like, yeah. that would have been amazing. Like, I don't know who he would have replaced. Maybe, like, the Chandler. Actually, it would have had to have been Chandler. There would have been no way he would have been anybody but Chandler. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, could you imagine him filling in that Chandler role? You know who else I was thinking of? As far as performances, because there are a bunch of huge secondary characters in the mm-hmm. movie, but Henry Winkler kind of flies under the radar as far as like this big actor because he had good like happy days early on he's the Fonz he's this iconic character yeah and then he's doing a bunch of like b-rolls and this kind of thing and secondary roles like he does with Scream I think he's a great addition as the principal but really if you really think about it he goes on to like being like he's huge Adam Sandler movies yep. just killing it in the 90s he's amazing as Barry Zuckerkorn in Arrested Development. Objection! What? We haven't read it very long your honor we haven't read it we're good we're going to get to i'm going to start right now and he's still killing it now as gene cousin in barry and that's just uh another show that's on hbo and that's fantastic i feel like he might not be the biggest star but for me actually as far as resumes go i think he might have the best resume after scream as well
1: I think he's had longevity and like I think that's all about him just having a good relationship with people in Hollywood and making sure that when he jumps from project to project it's
0: something that's resonated and Mm -hmm. yeah I mean give
1: him a round of applause
0: if you look at that IMDB list of every single person on here if you look at somebody like Henry Winkler he's in so many different things that at some point something just hits and he's basically just part of pop culture for like since he since the 70s basically nuts it's insane Uh, were there any stars that didn't do that much after the movie that you think should have who like, had untapped potential listen
1: it's, it's, it's Skeet Ulrich for me like when I think of ski Ulrich on paper good looking guy yeah. at the time you think he's going to be like maybe the next Tom Cruise or the next Johnny Depp or something and for some reason it just never materialized for him mm-hmm. he was like um, the lead actor on a TV show called Jericho he didn't really do anything apart
0: from that Mm -hmm. for me I feel like this whole segment is almost entirely dedicated to one person and one person only and that's David Arquette
1: of course you don't look a day over 12 except in that upper torso area does the force require you to work out
0: no ma'am because of my boyish good looks, muscle mass has increased my acceptance as a Sears police
1: officer. First off, hang on a second, hang on a second. David Arquette became the WCW
0: oh, World Heavyweight Listen, Champion. we're going to talk about that, right? <laughs> I genuinely have written the thought piece Okay, of how much I fucking went in depth. I'm just thinking about <laughs> who David Arquette was and who he could have been. Right. All right, first, let's talk about his performance, all right? I think it's pretty solid, not the best. Alright, Dewey is like kind of like intentionally portrayed like a doofus. Right. Right? He's he's a great character in terms of function yeah. because he's almost so stupid that like he automatically becomes a suspect to the audience. But I intentionally didn't go through his resume early on because I wanted to kind of break it down here. Right. Alright. So let's talk about before Scream, he's featured in 90210, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Friends, and Blossom. All right, all huge 90s shows. Yep. Basically, he's part of that pop culture pantheon basically anywhere you look. All right, he's already in a ton of movies. He's featured in a Vanity Fair feature, a profile called The Next Big Things with Leonardo DiCaprio, Matthew McConaughey, Benicio del Toro, and Will Smith. You're shitting me. Okay, and there's other actors that are huge as well. But think about that. He's oh sitting God. there among these guys and they're all photographed together. Wow. There's somebody who doesn't like sit right in that category.
1: One of these is not like the other. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And there's this amazing scene at the start of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you remember when Leonardo DiCaprio was talking to Al Pacino. And Al Pacino's talking about, he's explaining how there's a way that you're portrayed in the movies that ends up being how people perceive you as an actor. And I think that's the one of the truest things that you can teach an up-and-coming actor. Because David Arquette made two huge missteps in his career. And one was becoming the WCW champion after doing uh, Ready to Rumble. Right. Because becoming a pro wrestler left a stink on him. Yeah. All right? Him becoming a WCW champion destroyed that company. That's a different conversation for a different time. <laughs> yeah. But, like... The other misstep was Scream, right? If you think about it, he's basically, he's even admitted this in in interviews, like his character was so goofy that nobody took him seriously after the fact, right? You can't look at David Arquette and think talented actor, even though he is a very talented actor. I think if he doesn't do Scream, he doesn't do Ready to Rumble. And if he doesn't do that, he's a talented enough actor that his career would have gone to a different direction.
1: It's mad when you think about it like that. Like his career could have gone, could have zigged when it actually zagged. Mm-hmm. The only, I guess, you know, I guess the the phrase is, you know, having every cloud has a silver lining. Is the silver lining the fact that he ended up meeting the love of his life on the set of Scream, ends up marrying and having a a, a two-decade-long relationship with Courtney Cox?
0: Yeah, and he got divorced in Scream Four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it's pretty fucked up. I don't know, like. It doesn't know. I don't know if this is a win. I just don't know if this. I don't know if David Arquette can be seen as a win after Scream. I really think if you look back and you think of like the butterfly effect. That was the (laughs) one that fucked
1: everything up. You
0: know, I have to say, with all the credentials that you listed off of where he was at during that
1: mid-90s era, yeah, you would think that he was going to be amongst that group that would take it to the next level and and be taken seriously. Uh, And I think you're bang on right, because when I think of David Arquette, I do think of his performance as Dewey. That's the first thing that comes to mind all the time, every time. And then second to that is...
0: Him becoming the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. like two things you don't want for an actor, right? Facts. Like, you're either an idiot or a pro wrestler. Yeah. Like, unless you're like Mickey Rourke, you're not surviving that. No. Um, And he didn't survive that. He really didn't. And uh, do you think, okay, uh, do you think it ended up aging well? Does this movie actually age well over time? Or is it just something that, that kind of sits in the 90s? I think it does and it doesn't it does in the respect of
1: a, it's a solid rewatch mm-hmm. yeah you know? and i love 90s nostalgia just as much as i like 80s nostalgia yeah and i think as time passes you start to reminisce more about a certain decade so from that aspect yeah it ages well because you're getting a glimpse of what was going on in the 90s but on the other side it absolutely doesn't age well because there's no black actors. That movie in 2021 yeah. is not being made. There's no ethnic... There's no
0: minority. There's no minority There's not, groups. I, is
1: there one minority in this movie? I don't think so. Not from memory. No. Yeah, I can't... It's I- all white kids going to an all-white school in an all-white town, and that's it. Like, that is not getting made in this day and age. Sure. They try to make
0: up for it in Scream 2 yeah, and yeah, subsequent yeah. Like They sequels. specifically made a point of bringing in black characters and talking about like the whole black experience of black actors in horror movies. Yeah. Um, I mean the
1: whole the, the Scream 2 literally starts with the black couple going to the movies yeah, yeah, that's yeah, how, yeah
0: that's how much of a 180 they did between Scream 1 and Scream 2 yeah I'm sure like obviously looking back that must have been the biggest critique of the movie absolutely uh, and, but yeah like you said it is dated it, but I think it does kind of age well uh, you kind of fall into those 90s-isms that kind of are fun it is a time capsule of the 90s but it's also a time capsule of what's going on in horror at that time But, like you said, it's just kind of, like, mixed into that conversation. Did you notice any other flaws besides the whole minority thing? Were there anything, like, kind of weird that stuck out to you?
1: I mean, the other stuff that doesn't age well or is kind of weird to look back on now is this pre-internet stuff. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, having mobile phones at the ready. Did
0: you notice how, like, there's a scene where the ghost face is trying to break into the room and Sydney, Nev Campbell's character, is typing into the internet to say, to call 911? Yeah, well, I didn't know that was a service. Neither did I. I've never heard of that.
1: That but... was maybe you know something that AOL back in the day provided uh, to its customers or something. But yeah, it's just technology, isn't it? It's, That's it's, pretty again, clutch, yeah. <laughs> going back to the '90s, it's like you know phone calls, being able to you know reach out and you know get help from the police with a few taps on your smartphone in 2021, mm-hmm. or even just having cameras and the ability to actually try and capture and find out who a killer is would be so much easier right now. With you know the surveillance available uh, and the technology available, that perhaps wouldn't have been possible back in the mid-90s. So if this movie was going to be made, that was the time to make it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you think about like, cell phone culture at that time, they even have a line in this movie where the cop asks Billy, What are you doing with a cellular telephone, son? Which is like the weirdest <laughs> line to hear. Like, even it's 90, 1996, I'm sure, you know, how popular cell phones were, I was really young at that time, so I'm not really sure. So
1: this movie gets released in 1996. Yeah. I get my first mobile phone or cell phone in 1998. Wow. So I'm a couple of years removed from the movie coming out
0: but even then i feel like i got my cell phone so late in life <laughs> like
1: maybe i just was like one of the
0: people that i was, was
1: still amongst the first of my group of friends to get a cell
0: phone mm. so it, it, that was still
1: fairly new so the fact that pretty much you know only one or two characters in the movie
0: has a cell phone makes sense to me okay um there were a few other things i just want to kind of notice that were kind of weird one thing i don't know if this is an american thing but do people sleep with their shoes on on a couch, <laughs> that was like a weird thing that I saw Sydney do. That's kind of gross. I think. Yeah. Number one, why are you bringing that into the house? And number two, why are you bringing that onto the couch? <laughs> right? uh, also, this weird relationship between Sydney and Billy, where he basically tries to pressure her into sex by using her mother's death. Yeah. As a manipulative tactic. That was so weird. That was such a weird thing. I'm so, sorry, please understand.
1: Understand what? I have a girlfriend who would rather accuse me of being a psychopathic killer than touch me.
0: You know that's not true.
1: Then what is it?
0: What... is it? Billy, I was attacked and nearly filleted last night. I mean between us. You haven't been the same since... ...since your mother died. Is your brain leaking? My mom was killed. I can't believe you're bringing this up. No, it's been a year. Tomorrow. One year tomorrow. I know. I think it's time you got over that. I mean, when my mom left my dad, I accepted. It. It's the way it is. Any other little weird uh, flaws there, or anything like that? I've got some a few interesting stats and anecdotes. Okay, here, perfect. Please. Let's get into interesting stats and anecdotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so the party scene near the end of the film it runs for forty-two minutes long, and it was actually that's that's a, that's a large chunk of the movie right there. It was shot over the course of 21 days from the time that the sun set to the time the sun rose in the morning. So 21 days, three weeks on the trot, complete night shoot. And, and after it wrapped, the crew had T-shirts made that read, I survived scene 118, which is the name of that particular scene during shooting. Honestly, so it.
0: one scene, 42 minutes long, over the course of three weeks of shooting. That, that's nuts to me. I'll go for the next one. Uh, there's almost too many horror movie references to kind of go into for me. Uh, my favourite one, though, was the fact that there's a janitor named Fred that was dressed like Freddy Cougar, as, an, as a nod, to Nightmare on Elm Street also directed by Wes Craven. Love that. Uh,
1: So the high school scenes that were to be shot at Santa Rosa High School in California, however so close to the shooting date the school board read the script and denied the film to be shot there due to the violent nature as they had been under the film was going to be a comedy or something and so the production was moved to Hellsburg, California. As payback though, director Wes Craven puts in into the end credits under the special thanks section, no thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. I love seeing that.
0: that. That's such a good call. I haven't seen that either. I I love a big fuck you. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Okay, one quick little section I want to go into is casting. Okay. The casting like differences that could have happened. Uh, I'll list them all. You tell me which one is the most fucking stand out to you. Okay. Reese Witherspoon actually turned down the role of Sydney. Okay. Melissa Joan Hart and Brittany Murphy auditioned for Sydney. Okay. Drew Barrymore was originally her her role was originally gonna be Alicia Silverstone. Joaquin Phoenix was good he actually turned down the role of Billy. Wow. David Arquette turned down the role of Billy to play Dewey. What? Because he uh, the role called for like a hunky actor. So he was like, I can't be that. What a fucking L. Next was Freddie Prince Jr. auditioned for Stu and seth green and jason lee were up for the role of randy which ultimately went to jamie kennedy because of his ability to improv what stands out to you? It's
1: easily David Arquette choosing to to go with the route of playing Dewey. Like, I mean, we just talked about, you know, how much of an L that, and that impacted his whole career moving forward. Insane, right? It's that one for but sure. Joaquin Phoenix, could you imagine him? That's crazy. Dewey? And I feel like with Freddie Prince Jr., we kind of saw what happened with I Know We Did Last Summer anyway, and some other movies in that genre. It kind of
0: would have been cool to see Joaquin Phoenix in that role because he would have been kind of thrust into like that pop culture.
1: I tell you what, if Joaquin Phoenix ends up playing Billy in Scream, he does not get to play. Uh, the Roman Emperor in in Gladiator just three years later.
0: 100%. Why would they cast him in that? He wouldn't have been taken seriously like that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Do you got another one? Okay, a quick one. Uh, The user of caller ID uh, increased more than
0: threefold after the release of the movie. I got, uh, just as far as Ghostface, that the costume goes, First off, Nev Campbell, was she actually had a suspicion. She was like, do you think this would be good enough to actually be a Halloween costume? Right. That became one of the biggest things. I actually had one with the, you squeeze the heart and the blood kind of pumps in his face. Right. I used to have that one. Uh, they also refer to the Scream fa- costume as Father Death. And this is actually a red herring because they wanted you, you as the audience to start thinking that Sidney's father was the killer. Right. Also, uh, the costume was originally intended to be a white robe. But they opted not to because Nazis ruined everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A quick note on the
1: costume: I actually still to this day own and possess the original Scream mask that was available to buy as merchandise right after the movie dropped. Oh wow! So I've still got that. I mean, I'm sure it's like readily available now. But I actually like—I don't know if this—you uh,
0: know—the OG one's got to be worth something.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I've got—it's literally 25 years old. Yeah. Like, I, and I remember like that Halloween the year it came out, I dressed up as Ghostface um, to go trick or treat with my friends. And trick-or-treating wasn't a big thing for me growing up uh, in the UK. I think I only did it like two or three years. Oh, wow. And I, and I was that was it. I know it's a big thing here in North America. Humongous. But like, I remember like that one year, I'm like, all right, I've got the killer like Ghostface outfit right yeah. now. All I need to do is wear a black
0: robe and you a know mask. You Ghostface costumes I saw growing up? Oh. Just on Halloween, not just for that year. Every year after that, yeah, I think until now you could probably see Ghostface costumes everywhere 100. you go. Well,
1: it's so easy, right?
0: It's just a I can still a mask and a that black smell. robe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so that was interesting. I still
1: today have that mask available and like in in storage at home somewhere. Um, but my two other uh, bit of uh, interesting anecdotes and notes for you. So Drew Barrymore and Nev Campbell did not meet Roger Jackson. Now Roger Jackson is the actor who played the voice before shooting commenced. So. Whenever they're talking on the phone to the killer, they're actually talking to Roger Jackson. And in fact, none of the cast meet him. Craven actually thought that it would be better to bring out the shock reactions he needed from everyone when they heard the voice. And then the final one here is around the 52 minute mark of the movie, when Henry Winkler opens his closet, there's actually a black leather jacket Um, from when he played Fonz uh, in Happy Days, hanging in it. So that's a nice little nod to
0: his role uh, as the Fonz. That's pretty awesome. I got two more as well. Okay. One, Kevin Williamson actually wrote the script in three days. That's crazy. Isn't that insane? That's nuts. Uh, uh, Next is a little long, but just bear with me for this one, okay? Yeah. So one day uh, in the movie, Sidney and Tatum are talking about rumors, and they reference the rumor for the Richard Gere gerbil story. I don't know how familiar you are with this. I don't know how familiar anybody is with this. Not at all. But uh, I don't think we'll ever have a chance to talk about it. So I kind of want to go through this. So it's this crazy Hollywood rumor that uh, it's basically peak 90s tabloid absurd sexual fetish journalism, right? So the rumor is this. They say that Richard Gere was admitted into an emergency room in Los Angeles with something lodged up his rectum. They say that an x-ray was taken and it was determined that the foreign object was a gerbil. Richard Gere was rushed to surgery and it took a team of doctors to take the gerbil out. That's a rumor that not only was referenced here, but it has been referenced in other things I can remember. I I forget which stand-up comedian has talked about this, but uh, the idea of a gerbil stuck up his ass. Somehow this became something that people actually believe people do. It's actually been disproven. Nobody fucking stuffs gerbils up their asses. Obviously, it's complete bullshit, but I just want to get a reaction to that. Imagine
1: anyway. being Richard... Well, first of all, that's absurd. That's crazy. But imagine being Richard Gere. You know, you're a legitimate Hollywood actor. You're in movies. You've been in some major hits. This stupid-ass story comes out, and it's being referenced in other movies. It's doing the rounds on the comedy circuit. All of a sudden, it's like it It helps people uh, paint a... Comp- Completely different picture of you. It's all—it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but it's almost as bad as you know, know, taking the role of Dewey in Scream, basically, right?
0: Yeah, yes, but like stuffing like gerbils up your ass is a very different kind of thing. I don't know. i I don't know. I feel for him. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. This is right after Pretty Woman too. So this is peak, and then all of a sudden they attach this weird rumor to him. Well, remember Michael Jackson? You know, used to talk
1: about this all the time when he was alive, like how. Um, the tabloids would just make stuff up. Yeah. And it would help paint this picture in people's minds of the kind of person you are, and what you get up to in your private time.
0: Uh, actually, a uh, last thing I did want to reference is I actually do own the same blue flannel that I'm wearing right now that Billy wore in the final scene of Scream in that party. <laughs> is this, this is the same, exact same one. Like, did, did you go to like a, a. No, I just I watched the movie recently. I was like, I have that fucking shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on. I was like, are you going to wear it okay. while we do this I was podcast? wondering why you were wearing this shirt, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I usually don't wear a flannel. Anything stand out to you in terms of soundtrack or score? The only thing that stands out to me is uh, the composer was Marco
1: Beltrami. And he's a decent composer. Like, after Scream, he scored U-571, which is a, a pretty good movie. Lots of uh, suspense moments in that movie. So, a perfect fit for him there. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm aware of him more so than anything else is he scored Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And I remember in 2002 when Terminator 3 was being made, everybody really wanted the original composer of Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 to come back, which was Brad Fidel. Yeah then all of a sudden, Marco Beltrami comes in and I don't really enjoy his score for Terminator 3 and yeah. I haven't really enjoyed any scores of any of the Terminator movies because it's not... It's like, imagine somebody else coming in and doing a completely crap job uh, on a Star Wars movie. I was, that's exact where exactly where what Where you're like, yo, I want John Williams to come back and do his thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, So that's the only reason that Marco Beltrami jumps to mind and I remember him. But honestly, aside from that, score to this movie it's kind of like the score for most horror slash movies like
0: you know the the the, the instruments play up when there's a, a moment of horror or a stab or a shock moment the only thing that stood out to me was the idea of like that 90s edm kind of kind of like that same kind of feel you get when you watch blade right like that whole 90s edm kind of culture okay i feel like that perfectly kind of accompanies some moments that kind of create tension Uh, Were there any unanswered questions from this movie? I've written down one question here. How on earth did Dewey qualify to become a cop? (laughs) He's such a fucking terrible (laughs) cop. He's so dumb. Think about how he acts in that last scene. What are your conclusions from this movie overall? For me, Scream
1: makes fun of horror movies that had come before and it basically uses every stereotype and cliche, forcing the genre to head into a new creative direction in its aftermath during that late 90s period so again we don't see movies like that made right now but going back to that era of the mid 90s and where horror was scream is such a vital and important movie just to jump start the genre again and get things going for the next four or five years before we head into the 2000s and that's when japanese horror really starts to make its foray into hollywood mm,
0: yeah yeah 100 percent. there's something amazingly effective of watching like People do dumb things in horror movies, and it's all about like that suspension of disbelief. I feel like in anything, like theater, pro wrestling, whatever it is, you basically want to believe that this stuff is like is plausible. When people are doing these stupid things, it's it kind of helps with that like sense of disbelief, and it helps you kind of get intertwined into that movie. Wes Craven actually has this; he has this great quote where he says that people go to scary movies because they already have certain fears, and the movie brings it out in a way that's fun and you know you're not going to get hurt if something has been exercised some terrible tension has been relieved momentarily so it provides this kind of arcane service to the psyche i feel like i kind of agree with that we watch movies to basically you know feel something like that's my whole thing i feel like i just want to sit down and feel something from a movie and horror has like this almost visceral reaction that it gives you and you can't help but either feel something one way or another i did have one spin-off idea i know we didn't talk about this but uh, tell me what you think about this. I might not even put it in the podcast because I think it is a moneymaker. Okay. Right, so, uh, besides, when you go to the sequels, I think two is actually really good. Three is really where it falls off. Yep. But one thing I would love to have seen in terms of a spinoff is what if they just had somebody who was such a big horror fan that they became a director? Like, let's say in one of these movies, Jamie Kennedy's character had become a director and ended up, Making a scream movie, but it's like while they're on set He has all these actors that are excited to you know, make the real version of stab right within the universe and Instead of actually filming the movie this second twisted director is actually murdering all these actors that are trying to recreate the story that he basically lived through as kind of like his creative expression of being like fuck you you don't realize what we actually went through
1: maybe that's the ultimate character arc of dewey and the next screen movie that we get maybe that's what happens that
0: would have been cool right? <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's a good movie um all right let's get into best death who are the best death
1: okay so this is a tough one for me i think it's a toss-up between casey's death at the start of the movie drew barrymore just like hanging off the the tree, that was. I mean, what an iconic! It's a image. great shot. It's a really great shot, yeah. and so it's a toss up of that versus Tatum, plays by Rose McGowan. That's mine. Who yeah. gets her head stuck? in what is it the, the dog flap yeah, of, the, the do- of the garage, garage door, door? Yeah, yeah 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 and just seeing that garage door opener kind of like you know, slowly raise
0: her up and you,
1: I don't think you see it but you kind of hear a crack yeah. and all of a sudden it's game over for her
0: it's that is easily the most memorable death for me uh, I feel like I don't know it's because I grew up with a garage door opener I've just been reminded of that scene constantly but that one stuck with me in this weird psychological way who was the best character again really really tough for me because
1: I feel like it's a toss up between Stu, played by Matthew Lillard, Mm -hmm. and Randy, played by Jamie Kennedy.
0: You don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Yeah? Why would he want to kill his own girlfriend? There's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. That's the beauty of it all. Simplicity. Besides, if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. Well, Hmm. what's his reason? Maybe Sydney wouldn't have sex with him. (laughs) What, is she saving herself for you? Maybe. Now that Billy tried to mutilate her, do you think Sid would go out with me? No, I don't at all. No. You know what? I think it is. You know, I think it's her father. Why can't they find her pops, man? Because he's probably dead. His body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere. Eyes gouged out, fingers cut off, teeth knocked out. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch Prom Night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it, a very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect.
1: I think with Randy, I'm a film nerd, he's a film nerd, so I've got a connection to that character immediately. But I think I may have enjoyed his performance more so in the sequel in Scream 2, because he's got more of a prominent role because he is one of the survivors. Mm -hmm. So just because he's still available in Scream 2, and I probably would pick him as my favorite character in Scream 2, I'm going to give it to Matthew Lillard here because I feel like his performance in general is so out there and so outlandish
0: uh, and it's certainly memorable for me. He's really great in this movie. I actually, I feel like it's weird that we're on the same page for a lot of these categories because I picked Jamie Kennedy's character. Maybe it's just because we're film nerds. I think that's really I think really so. I think so. Uh, but I think he's just a great voice for the audience. He does such a great job at the halfway point. Kind of remo- He basically sums up everything. He tells us who the suspects are he's like the prime suspect is Billy he says her dad's the red herring and he says that all to the other killer right it's just such a great scene that even though he's a secondary character he's just executed so well um he doesn't portray that 90s damsel in distress or that like brooding like sad boy a lot of the characters also have this weird thing where they just go on these like psychological monologues like there's this one scene where that that girl that cheerleader just randomly starts ranting about how sydney might be the murderer in the washroom i thought that was so weird that she has like this weird monologue that no teenager would ever say it stands out so much for me it yeah. doesn't make sense as a high schooler to talk like this but then randy's the only one that can have those kind of monologues and it's still very in character because of how much of a film nerd he is yeah i pick him just because he's so logical he's the most logical character in the movie i respect it best line of the movie for me it's why don't you live her
1: alone by Stu a little bit corny <laughs> a little bit cheesy but again it kind of plays into this, the character of Stu and, and Matthew Lillard's delivery especially in like the last kind of like 15 minutes he's so good it's all Matthew Lillard, Lillard really owns the end of this movie
0: you're 100% right I think I'm dying man yeah. like that's such a good yeah. like, everything he like, just performs is so good in that last 15 minutes yeah. for me it actually Billy has a couple lines that okay. stand out to me a lot uh, one is it's all one great big movie You can't pick your genre. I feel like that one's really great. But for me, it was actually, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive. Obviously, his character has tremendous motive. Yes. (laughs) But uh, I thought that's just a really dope line because it kind of throws you off as well. Uh, What about best scene? Again, I'm am torn between two scenes here,
1: mm. and it's the opening scene with Drew Barrymore, which really set the tone for the entire movie because you just killed off the biggest actor available in the movie mm-hmm. right now, especially when it comes to um, teenage heartthrobs and teenage sweethearts. And honestly, um, of the cast, Courtney Cox is big. Don't get me wrong, because of Friends, but it hasn't she hasn't reached her, not her peak. Yeah. Not even close. Drew Barrymore was the the poster. She's on the poster for the freaking movie and you kill her off in the first 10 minutes. So opening scene is is up there for me, but then also the reveal at the end. I think the reveal moments in all the screen movies is always cool and fun. You finally find out who the killer is, but going back to the original, going back to this, to the first movie and going back to the very first time that you watched it, the reveal is so like important to your experience of watching the movie. So it's a toss-up between the two. If I'm going to lean one way a
0: little bit more than the other, I'm going to go with opening scene with Drew Barrymore. I actually agree. It's weird that we're on the same page for everything. <laughs> uh, one thing, actually, Drew Barrymore, like you said, she's a huge actress at this point. She actually wanted this role specifically because she thought it would shock the audience to have her die so soon. She was completely right. Nailed you it. immediately fucks with your perception in the movie. You have no idea what to expect because they laid the groundwork in this scene um she basically another thing is she represents all those stupid horror characters of like the past right in the opening scene so they basically say fuck your expectations we're killing all your expectations off right here and now let's move on to this whole new avenue what about let's get wrecked where we recommend one movie or tv show that's kind of a great companion piece along with this
1: so for me it's scream 2 and i feel like scream 2 is like a guilty pleasure rewatch because it's not as good as scream 1 but it's way better than scream 3 and scream 4 and i feel like because it's a sequel, there are so many expectations of can you live up to the original? And they actually there's a whole scene dedicated to talking about sequels in general in Hollywood mm-hmm. where They talk about aliens and Terminator 2 and I think uh, the Godfather part 2 and um, there's like literally like a whole you know scene with you know film students. Um, and so for me, listen, I think that's a great
0: companion piece because I feel like Scream 2 is an enjoyable rewatch. You know what? I actually think that Scream 2. 2- is one of those sequels that actually kind of lives up to the original it holds its own only after that really it falls off yes i I think scream 2 is actually really great uh for me it's actually this new documentary that just came out last year called you cannot kill david arquette the reason i know all this stuff about david arquette is because i just recently watched this and it's just incredible to kind of see where because it's a documentary about his life right so you see where his like career kind of went up and then took a dip and it was all around this era of Scream and Ready to Rumble, and it's a really interesting watch. Uh, I really highly recommend that. Last thing, what is your star rating out of this movie? 1 being one of the worst movies you've ever seen, 5 being one of the best movies you've ever seen.
1: Look at it a solid 3. Um, I feel like it's not a horrible movie. It's an enjoyable movie. Uh, if it's on um, and I've got nothing better to do, I'll rewatch it. It definitely reminds me of a time um, that I reminisce about a lot—mid to late 90s. It's a special time both in my life, um, just you know, going, being a young boy and going through my teenage life. And um, yeah, I just remember it being a very important movie that I talked about a lot at the time with my friends, and it's
0: still rewatchable, you know, 25 years later. So yeah, three stars from me. I agree. I actually went with three stars as well. I feel like it's not the best horror movie I've ever seen, but it's a classic. It's almost something you have to watch if you're a movie fan or a horror fan. You kind of have to go with that. So that's the show for this week. We finally got into Scream, our first horror movie that we really got into. I'm looking forward to doing a bunch more. John, where can everybody find us? So we are at Screen of Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you are
1: listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor, rate and review us. It really helps us get promoted on the podcast platform there on Apple. But outside of that, we're available on Spotify and we're available pretty much everywhere. You can download and listen to
0: podcasts. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week. Take care.